Welcome to the VVV Podcast. Today we are joined by Kampunya, Fableborn's founder and CEO. Fableborn is an isometric, free-to-play multiplayer game that combines action RPG and base-building mechanics, infused with unique twists. It leverages blockchain to enhance player and creator experiences. It redefines competition in short, snackable sessions. Cam, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate uh, that we can host you and that we can have you and learn more about Fableborn and how you got inspired to launch this game, what made you choose uh, blockchain integration instead of just keeping it, it Web2. And um, yeah, with that being said, I would say we jump right into it. So to get uh, right into it, Cam, uh, could you share with us the story behind Fableborn? What motivated you to start the company? What was your inspiration? Yeah, I'll do a quick TLDR of, you know, why gaming, why Pixion, what motivated me to found my own game studio. So, you know, I'm a, a third generation Indian here in the UK. Uh, my parents immigrated here at work and still work, you know, 12 hour days in manual labor roles. And we we grew up in a very small town. And so that meant growing up, it was quite isolating. Uh, and so that's where gaming was, you know, and became my favorite pastime very early on in, in, in my life. And I, I started to play games and each summer I would just play and play and play during the school uh, vacations. Uh, and then one day when I was 14, I realized, well, actually, let's try and build my own games. And so that's when I learned to code and started to build my own game. And I still remember it back then that it was a endless runner, we would call it now in the industry, skiing down a ski slope, simple high school mechanism, dodging trees. Uh, and, and that's what really then you know, ignited that passion that I, I loved building this experience, sharing it with my friends, my family, and seeing how they would play. Um, and I realized that what brought us together and kept us saying just one more game, one more game was that social but multiplayer hook, which was back then just uh, a high score mechanism, you know, a really simple high score and a leaderboard but it meant we just kept trying to beat each other one more game, one more game. And you can see that in the vision of, of Pixion. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to study games design here in, in London. Uh, I then was able to jump straight into the industry uh, at a, a public listed Japanese game studio called Konami, working as a designer with Konami and Kojima Productions on the Metal Gear Solid and Silent Hill series before taking on Yu-Gi-Oh! And um, that's where I grew the brand from zero here in Europe to nine figures and built everything from the video games to the licensing to the toys to the, the TCG brand. Uh, and it was a great experience. And so that that entire journey has, has been a a lot of lessons learned, but also um, the culmination of where I am now and um, what gave me the drive and, and courage as well to build uh, the games that we're building here at Pixion and particularly Fableborn. Um, so that's a quick TLDR on my background. In terms of 
Fableborn and the motivations behind it, I can maybe run you through two two different perspectives. One from you know a company and business perspective, uh, and then two from maybe just as a creative in the space. So, as a studio, when we look at you know I've been fortunate to be in the space for fifteen plus year, as have the other leadership team. We've built games at other studios that have grossed between 100 to 500 million plus a year in revenue but when we look at the top 100 grossing charts now for mobile specifically you know it's the same incumbents uh, there's there's not really any new entrances i think last year there were seven new games that were able to penetrate that top 100 uh, and it's the same large studios building the same types of games reskinning the same formula uh, and so we as a studio, we think, how do we win as a 20 plus person, very talented and experienced team? How do we go against teams like Genshin Impact that have over a thousand developers? Uh, how do we face Supercell who have 20 plus prototype teams? Uh, and so what, what we realized is, you know, those large teams uh, are not able to take the risk we are. They have proven winning formulas that they've built out over the last X amount of years. And why have a team take a lot of risk and maybe not succeed when they can reskin and make tens to hundreds of millions per year? And so as a studio, we can take much bigger risks. We can try and innovate and create new experiences. And that's what we bet on as a studio is we won't compete in terms of sheer, sheer size, sheer resources, capital, number of staff, but where we can win is creating unforgettable and new experiences and that through innovation, uh, creating games that players want to play. Uh, so that inspired the, the vision for what became Fableborn and, and how we got there. Uh, from a creative point of view, what excites us about this journey now is mobile gaming became very scientific as a development process. You know, it was all about numbers. It was extremely data-driven to the point where creatives were not making decisions. They would create hypotheses and then they would A-B test that for six months until the winning formula was found, uh, the winning test, the winning creative, the winning ad, the winning core loop. Uh, and so it really became a, a soulless experience for many. Uh, and here we are in the, the web free space where, you know, everyone, including us, is trying to build a new playbook on the fly. You know, every day as we make decisions, we're writing that new playbook. Uh, and, and that's really freeing. Uh, as a creative because everyone's in this neutral space trying to build what they believe is that scalable and sustainable business model um, and for us you know it now leans back in our favor it leans back on our experience rather than being completely data centric so hopefully that gives you some insights yes that was very insightful thank you so can you give us an overview? What is Fableborn? What do you do? How get players excitement out of the game and enjoyment? And uh, just a, a teaser, we're going to go into the, the blockchain mechanisms a little bit later, but just so people understand what the game itself actually is. 
Yeah, sure. How I like to describe Fableborn is, at its core, it's a multiplayer mobile game, blending together two genres, action RPG meets base building strategy. Uh, Another way I like to describe it, uh, which hopefully will help everyone here visualize the experience, is Clash of Clans meets Diablo, with two distinct differences. The first is that the worlds that you're raiding in Fableborn are not created by us, the studio, the game designers. It's created by you, the players. And so UGC is a native part of a core loop. Every single player after they finish the tutorial is creating content and creating islands for other players to raid and vice versa. Uh, The second main distinction there is on the raiding side. We give players complete control of the raiding experience. And so unlike in base building games like Clash of Clans, for example, where base building or, or raiding is very much an idle experience. You take your troops, you tap on the screen and you watch your AI do its thing. Here, the combat experience is much closer to and akin to something like a mobile brawler or a mobile MOBA, where you have uh, skills and abilities, uh, a virtual joystick on the left for movement, uh, and therefore the raiding experience is much more action, adrenaline-fueled gameplay. All right, perfect. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your personal background. How did you end up being involved in developing games and what made you decide to launch your own studio? Why didn't you go ahead and maybe uh, prefer to work in a more safe or secure environment where you can work for another studio? Yeah, I think it's a, a similar story for the, you know, the rest of the leadership team here is that my background, you know, I've been in this space for 15 plus years. And like I mentioned earlier, I was fortunate enough to firstly work as a game designer on, on two incredible IPs for Konami, the, the Metal Gear and Silent Hill series, working with uh, a game designer that I still am project lead, but I still idolize, uh, Hideo Kojima, um, an incredible mind. And from there, I realized that I still had, after doing that for a number of years, I, I still had this very clear knowledge gap uh, of experience that I needed to fill before personally I had the confidence in myself that I can build a studio and lead a team and build a new IP. And so right place, right time within Konami, they were taking over the Yu-Gi-Oh brand. It already launched in Japan. It hadn't launched in Europe. uh, And I was given the role to lead up that division and launch Yu-Gi-Oh here in Europe. Uh, And that, as I say, was across first the anime uh, and then video games to the TCG licensing, creating what became our esports grassroots tournament infrastructure, uh, where we had tens of thousands of bricks and mortar stores running Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments every week uh, and hundreds of thousands of players each Friday and Saturday participating and competing. Uh, and I did that for five years. The goal was to overtake Pokemon in revenue across Europe. Uh, we did that in three. Uh, we were able to scale that division, like I said earlier, to to nine figures, eight figure PL, seven figure budgets. And it was an incredible learning experience. Uh, it was at that point where, after that five years, 
I was confident in myself. I, would, I was able to build a team, build a new IP, launch it in several different markets uh, that I didn't have experience in. Uh, and that's when I, I made the leap to, to start Pixion. Super. Thank you so much. All right. Now we go more into detail about Fableborn. Can you talk to us about your recent accomplishments, the biggest milestones which you have accomplished with Fableborn or with Pixie? Yeah, so as, as a founder, you know, there's, there's a few things that you always have to focus on. The, the first is, can I attract incredible talent? Uh, you know, regardless of if you've got the best vision, you've got a lot of capital, if you can't find the right people with the right culture that have a similar or shared values, that also all believe in this vision as a studio that we're trying to build, then you, you've already failed at the starting spot. So, you know, as a company, what I'm really proud of, and as a founder, what I'm really proud of is as a team and the, the culture that we've been able to to create because a startup's journey is, you know, full of ups and downs. There's really high highs and really low lows. Uh, and this team has stuck together and, um, you know, they really believe and trust each other. Uh, and, and that just makes, you know, taking these risks that we are as a studio to try and innovate and create these familiar but fresh experiences as gaming um, experiences. That just makes the whole journey a lot easier when you know everyone is counting on each other, but everyone also believes in each other. Um, swinging back to Fableborn, and, and more recently, one of our major accomplishments, you know, was launching our first NFT collection, the Fableborn Primordials, a few months ago. And we really went against the grain and the, the meta. You know, it was a paid mint instead of a free mint. We only allowed one wallet per player. We created a lot of obstacles to be able to then mint. Um, and our focus was very much finding our super fans. And so we were very clear on what the utility was, what the rewards were. There was very little speculatory side, which again, you know, goes against a lot of the meta that we saw last year and even this year. Uh, having said that, we had an incredible mint. Uh, I think the floor price went up to 0.25 ETH or so. We're at 6 or 7x already, 2-3% that is listed. So I'm incredibly proud of the team first, being able to launch that in the midst of the bear, but also the community that we actually brought along with us. The, the conviction and belief that they have in us uh, you know, is, is testament to what we were building over the last 18 months. Thank you, Ken. And can you talk a little bit more about what made you choose Web3? What, is the, what was the decision-making process of actually deciding that you need to have that integration that's going to make the game better? Or maybe for, from a more uh, skeptical perspective, does it actually make the game better? <laughs> yeah, I think that's... We asked ourselves that question, you know, many, many times. Uh, three years ago or four years ago now. 
uh, when we started to move into Web3 in 2020. And with any technology, whether it's blockchain tech or you know any other tech, we always ask ourselves two questions. One, does this technology allow us to, to create exponentially better experiences than we currently can? Or two, does this technology allow us to create completely new experiences that we've yet been able to do with the current tech stack? And if we can't at least answer with real conviction yes to, to one of them, ideally two, but at least one of them, you know, then the technology serves no value. It has no purpose. It doesn't help us build for our players, uh, you know, and they are our end stakeholders. And so what excites us about blockchain is a few things. When I think just from a purely business perspective, Mobile grew the total addressable audience. And, and I want to give an example here. It's that 15 years ago, we had 300, 350 million gamers. Now in 2024, we have, I believe it's around 2.9 billion. And we've nearly 10x in 15 years. And that's largely down to mobile. Uh, and why I reference that is, you know, players that would never play games are now playing games and you know I, I always go back to one reference which is my own mother you know she plays Candy Crush she plays Merge Mansions she's on like level 2000 plays hours every week she plays and spends more time gaming than I do now um, and you would never classify 15 years ago my mother as a gamer what she's motivated by, what incentivizes her to install a game, what retains her, and what she wants from her gaming experience, you know, is very different to me who plays Battlefield and COD or FIFA and Forex uh, strategy games, for example. And what actually showed to me is that we can take that total player base from 2.9 billion to 3.5 to 3.6 billion. And that's going to be driven by emerging markets like India, Brazil, Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia. All of these markets are firstly mobile centric. They're not playing on consoles or PCs. They do, however, play mobile games. We know there's a huge demand and appetite for competitive multiplayer games on mobile in those markets as well. And like I say, Axis Show does although it wasn't sustainable and it didn't scale, it showed us that there's an, a new audience there. And although they have very different motivations, they have very different incentives, they're still players. Uh, and I go back to another reference that I like to, to, to mention is, is poker. You know, several decades ago, poker was a few guys around a table with a beer and their cards and maybe a couple of dollars to bet against each other. But now with the, with the game evolving, when you play poker, most players don't come in and say, I'm gonna 10X. What they do, however, do is they enjoy the game, they enjoy the social aspect, but importantly, and this is a key ingredient here, they enjoy the thrill of potentially being able to 10X. And that, is I think where blockchain again can really thrive and meet the expectations of these players where there'll be a few that do three, four, five, ten 10x and they do win or they do earn. 
but a lot of players' perceptions are going to change, and we again can also see how real money gaming in Brazil, in India, for example, has birthed billion-dollar companies, uh, and those companies are thriving because it's it's not that every single player is winning. Actually, more players are losing, but it's a thrill of being able to say, I'm going to put 25 cents, 50 cents, a dollar, and I might double that. Uh, and so I think that's one of, on the purely commercial and business perspective, that's one of the areas that excites me. From the creative side, and when I think about games as a whole, one of the things that I'm really excited about is how we can create these new experiences for players that they can then take onto other games within our ecosystem. And so one of the, we talk about interoperability and, and generally I'm actually quite bearish on interoperability between, you know, a, a Pixian game studio and, you know, a game on Immutable by Immutable, for example. I just don't think games are going to switch from publishers into game studios, but there's a huge opportunity for interoperability and how you can allow players to move between the different games within your own ecosystem that you've created with the same tech stack, with the same types of IP. Uh, and that's really exciting because that's not something we've been able to do in the past. I'm also really excited about how blockchain will allow us to disrupt user acquisition. User acquisition for a long time has been, particularly on mobile, has always been throw money at an algorithm, Facebook, Google, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be, uh, push against a specific conversion event over seven days and let the algorithm do its thing. That's now been decimated thanks to Apple and IDFA Google's privacy manifesto coming into play uh, or is coming into play later this year. It's going to be really hard to do that. Uh, and blockchain starts to level the playing field where instead of spending those dollars on those platforms, you can actually start to spend those dollars direct with the player. And so giving them purchasing power to be able to come into the ecosystem, be able to integrate and engage with your ecosystem. And then, of course, you have to bet that your team have built something that makes them stick. And that's, of course, we, we saw that wasn't the case in 2021. I'm much more bullish on the games coming into this bull cycle. Uh, and, and so that's just some of the things that we're excited about. There's a lot more that I want to share about how clans can become on-chain franchises um, and a whole host of other social aspects that we're thinking about, but that should give you an idea of, you know, why blockchain and where we see real added value. Thank you, Ken. And because we have a, a couple of new people jump in, so I just want to give everyone, uh, the community has already seen our research report, but I want to give everyone an overview of your advisors because it was something which was very interesting to me and which to me seems very strategic, uh, but maybe you can elaborate on it uh, a little bit more. But let me just list them uh, so the community knows who we talk about. So we have four advisors and we have Erling Fun, who is the venture capital partner of Sweet Capital, who was the VP of market, marketing at King and scaled Candy Crush from zero to over 1 billion in annual revenue. 
Then we have Nira Efrat, the head of mobile at Take Two, former SVP of King, and part of the leadership team who acquired Singa for $13 billion. Then we have John Bellamy, COO of Huge Games, who took Huge Games to the IPO for over $1 billion. And then we have Malte Bart, the founding partner at Bitcraft Ventures, who, uh, which is one of the largest gaming VCs. So what st stood out to me is that you chose advisors who all had a successful exit, which more or less makes it, well, implies to me that that might be one of your goals as well. So maybe you can elaborate how you chose your advisors and why you chose those particular four people. Yes, yeah, sure. So you can see it's very intentional. Uh, each of them have, you know, are not successful. They've had astronomical success. You know, they're at the peak of the industry. Near, you know, is his his background actually? You know, he's head of Take Two now, but before that, he headed up Nokia. After that, he was leading King's new studios in London and Sweden. After that, he was the president and CEO of Dots and sold that to, to Take Two. And then he joined Take Two as the head of mobile uh, and was part of the leadership team that led the acquisition for Zynga and is now scaling Zynga's mobile division to, you know, or, or scaling Take Two's mobile division. Uh, to literally billions of dollars per year. And, and so his background, he's a serial success story. He's built games and studios in different genres, in different countries, with different challenges. And, and so he's always an incredible soundboard. And, and similarly, you know, with Alan, he scaled from zero. Before King, you know, what we know King now is to be a juggernaut in the gaming space, but he was there when no one really knew about them, when they were a browser-based company with 50 games and their most successful game was maybe doing $2 million a year. Uh, and so he was there, understands the startup journey and, and seeing that hockey stick moment and then being able to scale it from zero to, you know, absolute overdrive. And, and we all know what the, you know, the rest was history with, with Candy Crush and King. And then similarly with John, you know, Malta, they, they tackle very different areas. Uh, Malta has really a 360 view of the entire gaming space, new trends. Uh, he sees more companies than I can only dream of. You know, he literally is seeing hundreds and hundreds of game studios. Uh, what's good about them and what's bad about them, what their direction is, what their operational strategy is. And John, again, you know, he took a, a company, went IPO for $1.6 billion, navigated that experience. Uh, and again, it's a, a really strong soundboard. Acquired in between that nine different strategic partners from tech to platforms to other smaller game studios to grow the bottom line. Uh, and again, you know, that's... For me as a founder to have those types of minds around me and to be able to pick up the phone anytime I want and ask them questions, soundboard with them, go through my concerns, go through our strategy and have that battle tested is of immense value. You know, that alone to me 
you know, gives me so much confidence knowing that I, I, I can always go back to them uh, and they'll always give me, you know, a straight answer. Thank you. And maybe you didn't answer it on purpose, so I don't want to push you on that, on that matter too much. <clears throat> But do you envision also uh, an IPO at some point or an exit? I would say yes. You know, it's part of our, our vision, whether it's an IPO or, or a, you know, an acquisition, that's still to be decided. But part of the journey as a, a founder, uh, you know, is having not only a strong vision, but then being able to build out that vision. Uh, and then when you believe you've achieved that or you're on your way to achieve that, how can you accelerate it? Uh, and at that point, when you go from, you know, zero to 100 million, how do you go from 100 million to a billion? I and mean, then how do you go from 1 billion to 10 billion? And that's where strategic partners or a huge influx of capital, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars at this point. That's what then separates you from a strong or a big team to one of the elite. Uh, and, you know, that's a vision for the studio. And so having all four of these advisors that have gone from, you know, not zero to a hundred million, but zero to several billion from acquisition by Activision for King to IPO at Huge Games with John. Uh, we've got, uh, like I say, a, a lot of incredible knowledge that will, will give us the best advice um, when we get to that point. And now I want to ask you another very interesting question. I know we spoke about this uh, before in private, but this is something which to me was very refreshing to hear. So can you talk about how important the gameplay loop to you and what was the process where you came up with the perfect fit of a loop for Fableborn? Yeah, so, you know, even though, you know, I look at the team we have and I'm inspired and, and I learn uh, so much from the success they've had, uh, but also how they tackle what we're building now, the, the, the difference though, and, and many, you know, look at experience as teams and I, I don't want to, you know, FUD myself and the team, but the difference here is that when you're in a completely blue ocean, there's an opportunity, but a challenge. The challenge is that your experience matters less. It still matters, but it matters less. What I mean by that is there's not a playbook to follow, like in free to play mobile, for example, there's not this is what we take and then we innovate 10, 20 percent, whether it's on the core loop, whether it's a gameplay, whether it's an animation, the storytelling, whatever it may be. That doesn't exist in the web free space because no one's yet to be able to do that. And so you're writing the playbook on the fly day by day. Um, and that means it's your experience doesn't tell you what to do. It tells you what not to do. So there's a lot of mistakes that, you know, if we didn't have, experience that we had in the past it might take us a lot longer to try and find the success that we have um, but having said that we're all still very humble we know if we want to build strong fun really scalable core loops it has to be an iterative approach by that you know there, there's evidence in that that we built and killed five games or five prototypes before we got to Fableborn and we have 
four very clear KPIs that we always focus on and a very clear methodology or, or process that we follow. First is we try and position out the game and look at where and how it would compete against other incumbents in the space. And when I say other incumbents in the space, I'm talking about Web2, not Web3. We're not competing against Axie or Parallel or someone else because our goal is to reach tens of millions of monthly active users. And I'm sure their goal is as well. But that means to reach that audience, we're not taking players away from each other. We have to take players away from Diablo, from Clash of Clans, from Genshin Impact, for example. Uh, and so how do you how do you cannibalize players from these huge franchises? Uh, and that's where we killed those five games is because we have this very clear process. We prototype a game internally at that point. If we are not excited by it, regardless of whether it could be fun or not to others, if we as a team are not excited and passionate about this, there's no point moving forward. Uh, and so if we are excited by it, we then build a vertical slice, a game very quick, very dirty, very cheap. The goal there at that point is to validate it externally with players. And when I say validate it externally with players, that's not our community, because our community will always give us false positives. You know, they'll always spend more, engage more, retain more. They'll always be accepting of more bugs, of UX challenges. Now, our community has a lot of value, but when we want to understand would this core loop scale to tens of millions of players, we have to really attract players that have no affinity uh, and no perspective of the game because they will speak with their actions. If the game sucks, they will leave, uninstall, and play another game that's on their mobile, you know, the, ten, the thousands of games that are already available on the app stores. And so we put that build out, bring in several thousand players, and always measure four KPIs, early retention, daily playtime, number of sessions per day for each player, and then for Fableborn, it was the number of raids per day. And that, without any NFT or blockchain layer, without any competitive layer, deep progression, just the real core loop in itself, if we're not benchmarking in the top 10% for that genre, we kill the game, we kill the prototype. Uh, and that's the conviction we have is that whether it's a first, second, third, or fourth, or fifth, when we find that core loop, we'll go all in. But until we find that core loop that shows us that we have a strong base and this base can be a category defining winner, we keep going. And, you know, that's tough. As a studio where we don't have endless runway, it's tough to kill games that you've been working on for two, three, four months. But equally, we we're very clear that this is our pipeline and this is our process. And we're very fortunate that we have investors that back us. Uh, and they know that, you know, whether it's the first or the second or the fifth try, they believe that one of these hits, one of these attempts will be the winning formula and will be the category defining hit. Uh, and luckily, with Fableborn, we tried again. We learned a lot of lessons. 
we followed the same process. We were very excited internally. We put it out live. We got some incredible data. Uh, and then towards the end of, or nearly 18 months ago now, we put the game into full production on the basis that we had some really stellar KPIs benchmarking us in a really strong place in, in the strategy and action RPG genres. Thank you, Ken. And, and that's something which I really appreciate because it shows that you are not overly romantic about what you do because a team can also easily fall in love with a concept and then pursue something which the market doesn't even want. And you also don't have any pride of authorship where you think, no, this is the way it has to be. This is the game. This is what the market has to accept. So I think it's a very healthy perspective, yeah, which hopefully a... is going to make Fableborn a, a great success. It's it's a, a really surprising thing, you know. We there were some prototypes where we thought, okay, this is absolutely the one, you know, this is the one that's going to be really widely accepted and, and actually the KPIs didn't stack up. And you have to at this point, particularly for mobile where there's so many different play personas, you know, you have the adventurer, the collector, the competitor that wants to just drive up the leaderboards, the whale that wants to flex and show off. There's so many different player motivations and how they all define fun is completely different. And so you have to, like you say, take a back seat there and, and not let your own subjective opinions and thoughts cloud your judgment because we're not building this game for us. Even though the team, you know, are very excited and, and, and really passionate about Fableborn, we always have to remind ourselves and be clear that we're building this for players, not for ourselves. Thank you, Ken. And now we're going to jump into the community questions. So for all of the listeners, Please make sure to post your questions on Twitter below the Spaces event. And while you do so, please be aware that we're going to give away a couple of secret codes and even a master key. So please make sure to retweet and like the event to qualify. And now, Cam, I have to say our community asks hard questions. <clears throat> so um, <laughs> I, I'm going to try to ask them uh, as uh, kindly as possible. but. Uh, you might see that with uh, with the listeners, we have a few people here with a shark PFP, uh, and that's the kind of attitude uh, which they which they which of course they also need. I'm to ready. Have, right? I'm looking because... forward to it. always happy to have a fiery debate. Super, because we're always looking at it also from the investor's perspective, right? And then you only really get to see how good a project really is. Uh, when you ask the tough questions, and in my opinion, those also allow you uh, to really shine uh, and show off. And um, and I think probably you already um, indirectly answered one of the questions. So uh, one community member, uh, Mike, brought up the delays of the game launch and the TGE. Uh, maybe you could uh, elaborate uh, where, the, where those uh, delays came from. Yeah, like I mentioned, um, we we take a very data-driven approach. And so even now we found the core loop. Our goal is to get to 60 days worth of content. And internally we have a roadmap. We have a pipeline of this is what 60 days or 75 hours worth of playtime would be. But ultimately it's our hypotheses and it's why we continuously keep putting new builds out is to test how close to that hypothesis we are. 
And we're very ruthless in the sense that if we are not hitting that really high benchmark, we're happy to delay things. We're happy to take more time to make sure when we do come out, you know, it's incredible. And, and I'd say you can already see that come to fruition where Fableborn, I'm pretty confident in saying that Fableborn is already regarded as one of the best, if not the best, mobile games in the space right now. And there's so much more to come. But why we're there and why those that play unanimously have really strong positive feedback for what they've played is because we did ruthlessly reject anything that didn't work. Uh, and whether it was my ideas, whether it was our product director's ideas, whether it was someone else that is really senior, there's no ego there. It's the data doesn't lie. And if that means it, it takes us an extra month or an extra two months, like I said, we're fortunate that we've got investors. Now, although, it, you know, we don't have an endless and infinite amount of time, speed is an execution is paramount. But equally, we know this is a very clear process. We've replicated this in the past and had incredible amount of success at times where there's also not been a clear playbook to winning uh, and to scale. This is how we're building Fableborn, and this is what we truly believe will lead us to success as well. Thank you, Cam. And probably the point which came up the most, uh, and I, I understand it's the, the least favorite thing for founders uh, to talk about, but uh, the missing tokenomics, of course, for a, a crypto audience is always a, a big question mark and something which they are very keen to get more information on. And I think what's what's interesting here, and maybe also something which might expose some weaknesses with other projects, is that you will actually launch your game first before you launch the token. Can you uh, tell us more about your strategy then? Yeah, I, again, when we think about, if it's not paramount already from what I've said over you know the last 30, 40 minutes, we're here to succeed long-term. We're, we're so early in this space. And I truly believe, and I mentioned you know, our thesis that we believe blockchain will unlock five to 600 million more players, particularly in those emerging markets. And the biggest and most successful web-free enabled games and studios will outperform the biggest web two studios. Uh, that's what we truly believe. There's an exponentially large opportunity in front of us. And I feel a lot of <clears throat> other founders and studios look at this in a very short-term way. And when we think about the challenge in front of us, okay, we want to launch a token in an open economy, but we have no product, we have no way to validate how we launch it, and we have no idea if our game design, our meta, our progression systems give us the tools, not to balance an open economy, because I truly don't believe you can balance an open economy, but do we have the levers to be able to counter any inflationary pressure? You cannot really know that. You can do all the modeling you want. You know, you can use machinations, and that's an incredible tool, but it's all the hypotheses, and we're proof that no matter how much experience you have, your hypotheses are not always going to land. And we've seen that over the last three years in the industry, they most often don't. 
Uh, and so our focus is that first to have a product that we know can scale, that we know can attract a really large audience, firstly of net negative players, because although this is going to be a blockchain enabled game and there's some really exciting new innovative pieces to that, and we're exciting how we can drive value to these types of players in the web free space. We all know that if we want to scale this game, we have to bring in Web2 players. Web2 players don't spend because they want a 10x. They spend because they want to compete. They want to flex and get all the new skins or items they can show off to their friends. They want to unlock new features. They want to be able to play socially. And so we have to have a product that can scale to that audience as well as being able to scale and meet the motivations of Web3 players. And their motivations generally are centered around where's the value accrual. And so I completely understand and we get a lot of this question of, you know, why you're not launching a token when the game's already quite far along uh, and we're entering this mini bull market. Uh, and it always goes back to our goal is to win long term, not win in the next six months or the next 12 months is how do we create exponential value year on year on year for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and I think if more founders zoomed out and didn't just look at the opportunity and where we are in the cycle right now, more would take this and say, actually, there's a much bigger opportunity if we do this right. And if we take a more data-driven approach on how we can launch, for example, a token and how we would be able to then counter that inflationary pressure, knowing that we've got the systems in our design, in our game, in our core loop, um, that will allow us to be able to scale. So that, that's, that's why we, we've not launched any token. Um, we're very much committed to the idea of having a token, but we have to pass, like anything, pass milestones. And uh, until we pass those milestones, we're going to be ruthless in our execution, but also our vision. And I think, and let me know if that's not the right place, the right place to talk about it, but your investors hold equity in the studio itself. So there's no rush for anyone to receive tokens because the, the, the greater benefit comes from the studio as a whole succeeding, not just on, on playing on. And I, I, if I understand correctly, the token will work for multiple games anyways. But it's not just about that one game getting traction as quickly as possible, qu quickly launching a token and uh, trying to squeeze out as much short-term value as possible. Correct. You know, I, I know we're talking about a token now and um, I don't want to commit to saying, you know, there will be a token this year or there will be a token. There's still a lot for us to validate, but I can s share that our aspirations is to launch a token. We see a lot of value add and how it benefits not only us, but our stakeholders and those involved in the economy. Uh, having said that, absolutely, our thought process is this isn't a token that's centered around a specific game we tie it to our platform which we're building called pixie league uh, pixie league is going to empower not only our games but other studios games to be able to run on-chain live ops uh, and sean you and i talked about obviously how live ops are crucial to any free-to-play game whether it's console pc or mobile it's, it's where a lot of studios 
build their revenue and, and generate their most revenue. And so we're excited about how that platform can turbocharge live ops, not only for Fableborn and our other games, but like I say, other studios games as well. Yeah, maybe you can uh, just briefly go over the concept of lunchtime esports. Yeah, sure. So we, we came up with that term really is when we think about competitive gaming now, particularly on mobile, you know, it's it's such a, a battle for attention. There's, you know, messages, notifications, pings always going off. And the ability now for a mobile gamer to be able to sit down and say, I'm going to play this one core loop for 45 minutes without distraction. You know, even while I've been on this spaces, I've had dozens of notifications just take my attention away for a few seconds. And so it, it tells you how distracted we all are, particularly on our mobiles. And so when we think about competitive gaming, we think, well, how does that translate onto mobile? And how do we allow more players to compete, but when their life permits? And so one of the phrases we say internally of the experience that we want to create is, how do we allow our players to jump into our games, feel like champions and jump back, jump back out to their lives? And that's really, you know, underpinning the types of experiences that we want. It's building core loops that have really short snackable sessions, can be played in less than five minutes. And of course, we hope players then play another game and another game and another game. But if they do just have that three, four minutes free, they can jump in, get that adrenaline rush and jump back out. And we are then a, a, a very, very convinced that they'll come back in again and come back in again. And they'll choose Fableborn because they can come in, compete, feel like a champion and jump back out. And that's really the, I guess, the the process and the thoughts and the vision around, <clears throat> excuse me, underpinning lunchtime esports as a term. Thank you, Ken. And as you know, we live in an attention society. And from a... Investors' perspective, we always pay close attention to uh, the activity of the community, the activity on socials. Uh, what is your plan going forward with uh, regards to the game launch to scale up your marketing and to make sure that you pull in more people? Or do you intend to launch the game and then kick off the marketing or do you intend to do it prior to the game launch and, and uh, do a stress test on day one, so to speak? Yeah, so there'll be a, a hybrid approach. You know, our marketing mix isn't just going to be bottom-up community building, for example. Equally, it's not going to be we do nothing, and then as soon as we're ready to launch, we we pour hundreds of thousands of dollars each day into Facebook. And so, anyone in the Facebook in, in the Fableborn uh, community will know that we're very very much listening to feedback. We ask very comprehensive questions after every playtest, and we really action them. If we look at them and we say, there's something really here that makes sense, and we can validate that it makes sense, we do make a lot of changes that have come from the community. And so our community will always be a really important voice, and we'll seek that out through every single playtest. Equally, we'll run tests externally without the community or in adjacent to the community being able to play test 
And that's again to give us another perspective of players that have not played the last build because there's always a, a slight subconscious bias. When you've played, you know, the last six, seven Fable Warm builds, there's already an expectation. You already know what to do or maybe what to expect. Whereas a new player, they could come in and can be completely bamboozled by the control scheme, the UX, uh, the UI, the layout, the combat, the, the skill cap, the depth that's required to be able to raid. And so that allows us to, again, just sanity check our own assumptions and our own design uh, and measure the data and the delta between the two different tests. Uh, so we, with each play test, burst more campaign and more activity. Uh, and then in between each play test, we focus a lot on taking in a lot of the feedback creating a, another clear hypothesis and building out that hypothesis before the next playtest. And so we'll continue to ramp that up with each playtest getting closer to a global launch and then really pour fuel onto the fire when we get to global launch at that point. And I know a lot of the listeners are now curious to play the game. What is the best way for them to get started? How, they, how can they get their hands on a copy of Fableborn? Yeah, so I I can see in, in the audience NFT Calf. He's our head of community and social media, incredible person, uh, really passionate about the space, uh, uh, Wolf style, web-free degen. Learn so much from him, but equally holds the keys to the next playtest. And so I would go into our Discord, bombard uh, NFT Calf for the next playtest date, uh, but, but on a serious note, the best way is to jump into the Fableborn Discord. We'll be announcing when the next playtest is. Uh, keep your notifications on uh, for those announcements. Uh, you, it won't be gated entry. You don't need to have you know, a specific NFT or pay to play or anything like that. It's free to play. You need to sign up and you're ready to jump in. And so head to Fableborn Discord, hang out with the community, be part of our voice and the community's voice going forward, help us shape Fableborn and get ready for the next playtest. Thank you, Ken. And for those of our community members who are keen to support you, what can we do for you? How can the community be active and, uh, and uh, become uh, valuable members of Fableborn? Yeah, I mentioned, you know, uh, already how we, we really seek a lot of advice. We, we intentionally ask a lot of comprehensive questions per playtest, for example. So each time there's a playtest, if you're involved, spend the time and it will maybe take you 20, 30 minutes. And I know that's a time investment, but the more depth we get, uh, the better it allows us to shape the vision of the studio uh, or shape the vision of Fableborn uh, and take in feedback. In terms of scaling the game, um, we've We've yet to announce, but we're going to be very soon be announcing some really cool Pixie and League events and how members in the community can get involved. Uh, it's going to be more than just participate, enter, play, and enter leaderboard. Uh, so again, head into our Discord, keep your notifications on, uh, and participate. There's going to be a lot for us to do there, and uh, being able to amplify that in a gamified way is going to be a, a really exciting exciting opportunity for many. Um, 
I'd say that's that's two ways that you know you can really help the product team and the studio uh, and Fableborn up to global launch. Thank you, Kim. And how do the next one, two, and three years look like for Fableborn or for Pixim Studios? Do you uh, plan to launch other games? Are you already working on um, on um, prequels or sequels to to that particular game, or are you gonna plan to launch standalone games which are completely detached from the Fableborn world, so to speak? Yeah, sure. So really good question. Uh, this year, definitely the global launch of Fableborn. Like I said, we spent a lot of time finding the, the right core loop, finding the fun that can scale and validating that. Now the goal is to really just pour more content into that experience. Uh, I mentioned what our North Star for us to soft launch is 60 days worth of content or 75 hours worth of playtime. That's the goal from a product perspective. In terms of launching new games, uh, we definitely have more ideas for what our second game team and third game team would work on. Right now, our entire focus is on building Fableborn and Pixium League as our live ops platform to scale that to be, like I said, a, a category defining top 100 hit. So that's where our focus is. Over the next three years, we certainly see ourselves scaling to additional games and we'll always look at that point, even though we have ideas of what maybe game two and three would be, we always start the same way that I mentioned, you know, nearly an hour ago, which is where can this game position itself And can we win in that space? If we don't have the team or the expertise or we don't have the right resources or the game itself isn't positioned in a market where we think we can win, we don't even start the concept. And so the gaming industry is changing you know, all the time. Players' expectations, trends in the space. You know, Battle Royale was really popular three years, four years ago. And now that's moved moved on to where Fortnite is more like a sandbox experience rather than a battle royale game. And so it tells you how quickly trends in the gaming space will change. And so, uh, like I say, reiterating, we'll certainly have more games. Uh, those games will be within our ecosystem, potentially use the Fableborn IP, but in their own right will be standalone games that we've benchmarked, that will have the opportunity and we have a conviction to be able to build them into, again, more category-defining hits. Uh, Cam, how much time do you have left? Because I have uh, a million questions almost, <laughs> but I want to be respectful <laughs> I, of your time I, as well. I've got another half an hour, so I can keep rolling if there's uh, more questions. Okay, super. Amazing. Thank you so much. So let me, uh, give me one moment to scroll uh, through the hundreds uh, of comments which we have. Um, well, one good question from uh, ELS Capital. If the game is free to play, how do you plan on being sustainable long-term and keeping value for NFT holders? Yeah, really great question. And, you know, it's one of the reasons, for example, why we focused firstly on building The, the core loop and building the game because we also then have data to test against our own assumptions. So 
part of it, I would say, we actually don't know yet. Uh, and that's part of a journey of iterative development is that every time we put a new build out, we level up our learnings and understand what was right and what wasn't right. But equally, we've built and scaled free-to-play games that have been sustainable and scaled to, like I said, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so that's something that we, we have conviction to be able to to push forward with and to be able to model and build out. But a lot of it is going to be iterated upon and we have clear hypotheses of how we introduce NFTs into the game. Pixin League is going to be a, a really large on-ramp initially. So rather than mint our NFTs, you will enter our leagues and tournaments uh, and that will allow you to play, win, and then own these NFTs. That gives us then a very clear cycle to be able to analyze what players do with those NFTs, whether they spend, whether they trade, whether they hold, whether they level those NFTs up, whether they burn them for something else to redeem another item within the game. So again, gives us a lot of data points that we can analyze. And that then gives us the, the knowledge to be able to scale the next collection and the next collection. So it's going to be a very iterative process. Um, and when we get to the point where we start to pour fuel onto the, onto the fire and really scale the economy, it's because we have real conviction that we've got the data to be able to do that. And I think it's also important to note that when a game is not specifically just designed for a web free audience, there will be many people who play the game and earn or mint the NFTs along the way. And then once they maybe stop playing the game, they will not be like your average NFT holder who tries to dump the NFT, but just gonna keep the game as it is and not cash out, so to speak, because that's not how they're used to play games. Well, it's what, what you know, what, what is value is completely subjective. If we ask, you know, how many people are here, 500 plus, 600 plus, if we ask all 600 what is valuable to them, we'll have so many different answers. And so it's the same with gamers. You know, if you ask a competitor what is valuable to you in Fableborn, they will say, I want level ups. I want consumables. I want resources to upgrade my hero. If you speak to a social player, they will say, I want to unlock all the social guild components so I can play and compete with my friends. If you ask, let's say, a web-free player, it's how do I accrue value? And so what the value proposition is, is, as I say, completely subjective. And the task for every game studio, including us, is how do we build an ecosystem? And it's to build an ecosystem for all these different player personas that have very different motivations. But as I've mentioned and it's reiterated it, uh, over the last hour is we take a very iterative and data informed approach to this. So we focus on the fundamentals first of having a core game that we know can scale. Uh, the blockchain tech for many will be obfuscated. They'll log in with social login like they would in any free to play game and there'll be a custodial wallet there. And for many, they won't ever mint a single thing or they won't even know that they've minted an item. Many of them, like you say, won't trade. Um, 
but there's going to be a large part of that player base that we want to educate and they'll see the value of selling an item to then reinvest it not to extract it but to reinvest it into next month's battle pass to get a new hero to buy more in-game currency to level up their existing heroes to level up their base it's a reason why we've gone for such a, a deep metagame and, and genres that allow us to have deep metagames is so we have so many sinks that we know we can create a, a scalable system but importantly a a scalable economy around. That's the perfect segue for the next question, because Martin asked, how will you keep the game streamlined and accessible if blockchain is on the back end? I downloaded Honeyland recently, and I'm not sure if you know the game, uh, but the Honeyland token has been pumping recently, so uh, it got a lot, of, a lot of attention. So he downloaded Honeyland recently, and there are uh, a lot of different mechanisms in, and menus, and it's super complex for a mobile game. Yeah, so I, I'd say firstly, mobile gamers that we're aiming towards are mid-core to core. So these players are already generally sophisticated for mobile gamers. They're already playing these types of games. They're not playing Candy Crush or hyper-casual games or match-free puzzle games, for example. They are playing games that have virtual joysticks, that have deep meta and progression roots, skill trees, for example. Nonetheless, it's our role and it's our game design and UX designers' roles to simplify as much of that, to automate areas that players won't or don't need to care about. And so that is something that we're already doing. In terms of how do you simplify blockchain technology, well, firstly, tooling is always improving. If we see where we are today compared to just 12 months ago, but onboarding is already infinitely better. You know, 12 months ago, I couldn't escape signing on without using my MetaMask, which, as we all know here, would obliterate your monthly active users because Web2 players are not going to do that. They'll just uninstall as soon as you put that amount of friction in front of them. But now... Whether we build it ourselves or use incredible partners like Third Web, for example, that have their own custodial wallets, a player can come in. They don't even need to log in. They can just use the guest account, type player's guest, and they're in Fableboard straight away. Or they can use Google or Facebook or App Center, and again, it automates their login, account creation, attaches a custodial wallet to their Pixie ID, and they're there playing the game, which is what matters to them. And so there's already a number of ways that we can simplify the onboarding, uh, and that's only going to improve. And so, you know, the standards of where we are now, it's the worst it will ever be. It's only going to improve going forward. And so I think that's something to, to be aware of as well. Thank you, Ken. And we have another question by Martin. Uh, he's on a roll today and maybe also a good candidate for our master key giveaway today. He's asking, what's your take on the decision to make all blockchain games where people get items, currencies with real world value as adult only? How will you navigate this from a, from a marketing perspective and ensuring visibility on key storefronts considering others could follow suit? Uh, that's a 
a really great question from Martin and something that actually towards the tail end of last year we were discussing from multiple different perspectives one from a product perspective from a design perspective but also then from a legal perspective you know what are we actually obliged to do and what do we have to do as a studio that wants to safeguard you know younger adults or children for example and so i agree that right now with where the space is uh, and with unfortunately the number of different bad actors and the number of scams that do go around in this space it's important to protect those that maybe are not going to be as privy to this you know anyone here can get scammed and we're all web free natives and so someone that's maybe 13 14 that jumps off roblox and jumps into another game it's important that they're safeguarded so i agree with with that classification uh, in terms of you know how do we move forward and how do we protect those users so there's a number of layers of friction that we can add from requiring players to obviously validate that they're a specific age providing a number of different pop-up warnings before they make any transaction so it's very clear that they understand what's about to happen uh, equally to across our different web stores within the app within the app store itself applying those warnings and safeguarding messages as well so they understand the app stores themselves in terms of distribution now do a great job and so once you are given a specific rating players just don't see your app in the app store and so that again uh, also contributes to being able to create a safe environment for for players and making sure that they aren't overexposed do you think that those ratings can also negatively influence your exposure to the right audience because i would assume you, you're the game is not going to be an adults only game but what if it gets classified as such then all of a sudden your audience shrinks right yeah absolutely and um even without blockchain, you know, that's a product decision you have to take. So, for example, if you use blood and it's red and not green, automatically you're going a couple of years older in terms of the age rating that you're going to receive. Uh, and so these are things that we've already considered. You'll see from any videos in Fableborn right now, we're classified as a 13 plus on the App Store, something that we're pretty comfortable with. Um, so I completely agree, uh, if you are classified as an adult only, um, it does shrink your audience, uh, that's definitely a product led decision. Um, and it's something that we've already thought about and, and, and tried to counter. Thank you. And now we have another question by Ciro. He says, getting hooked with a new game that has a good game loop is very easy in the beginning. However, after months or years, people usually lose interest, like we can see in Clash of Clans, for example. How, how do you plan to keep the customer base hooked over the years? Yeah, another great question. Uh, and it always goes back to, first and foremost, having strong fundamental core loop. You know, you can add appointment mechanics, you can add really strong social mechanics, but, but like a mentioned in the question you know that player might enjoy it early on but 
after month two, month three, month six, it's starting to become very repetitive. And that's something that we actually saw when we did a lot of surveys and questioned a lot of Clash of Clans plays, for example. One of the things that always came back was raiding was a really laborious process. By that, there's a number of elements that created friction and frustration for players. And that's because you had no control. You tapped where you wanted the unit to go or where you wanted the unit to spawn. And then it had a, uh, its own control. You know, It would move in the direction that it would see fit. Your, your units would splinter off into different directions, start attacking different units, and now you're watching your raid experience slowly be obliterated. Uh, and that's completely countered by giving player all the control the second part for any free-to-play game is you know building as a games as a service and so i mentioned a little earlier on that live ops is going to be really important and actually one of the things we're building now is our first live ops game mode and it's really important that each live ops event that will be running through pixian league refreshes the experience and so I can't share too much. Tyler probably in the in the in the audience uh, will kill me. He's got a lot of content he's about to drop around the new game mode going forward. But with the new game mode that we're building for these live events, how you raid, but also how you build your base, changes. And so that means you could be playing Fableborn for a whole month and you enjoy it. And then you come in and suddenly there's this new event that runs for seven days and it changes what you need to learn, what you now need to master, how you play with those heroes and what strategy and what meta you actually take forward into base building. And so that's, like I said, a really important part of free to play one-on-one and the fundamentals of having a strong live ops calendar is that these events not only act as a UA acquisition perspective uh, where you can use those events to bring in new players, but they're also retention mechanisms if they're done well, where they, like I say, they refresh the content for players and so just changes the way they think about the game, how they play the game. And once they finish that event, they go back to what is a true proven core loop. And that's why I go back again to it starts with the fundamentals of having a really strong, fun, core game loop because you can't continue to just create new game modes every month. You know, it's impossible. Or you need a, a team of five, 600 people, which then probably is not going to be commercially viable long-term. And so you have to have a core game that in between you sprinkle these events that just change the way players play and then we come back to something that we know and they know is already fun. Thank you, Cam. And now we're going to go to the last question and to be respectful of your time, not uh, stretch over our time too much. But we have a very interesting question by Patty. And I think that's something uh, which you also mentioned before. So just going to be a, um, a good question for you to show off. <clears throat> so the plan, uh, she says, you plan to ramp up esports. Will this be limited for the players? Or do you plan on, on to onboard professional esports guilds? What is the marketing strategy here? Yeah, really great question. And actually, I want to 
provide some context on you know what we mean by esports. When we think of and say lunchtime esports, we're not specifically focusing just on esports as an industry that you and I know and those in the audience know, because that's a a subset of a subset of an audience. You know, it's so small. Our goal is how do we bring esports to everyone? That's what we mean by lunchtime esports. And so you that finish with space and have 10 minutes free, you're able to jump in, play, compete, and have a shot at the best rewards. You don't need to spend eight hours a day playing exclusively Fableborn as your pastime to be able to then have a shot at those incredible rewards and, and winning the leagues or the tournaments. Having said that, there's going to be a peak where how we build out Pixie League as a format is there's going to be a number of different tournaments. Some will be free to enter, some will be gated, some will have different winning conditions, some will have different rewards, some will last for two days, some will last for a month. Uh, and on top of that, we'll have really prestigious Pixie and League events, which will be really highly gated. And so you'll need to achieve different objectives, and then you can enter. And that's where, you know, those players that maybe are the, the best of the best are able to compete. And that's where we really believe some of those more competitive players will participate. To give you some idea of, of why we have that conviction as well and, and why we're excited about Fableborn particularly is as, an, as a game that's really watchable, we already know MOBA games are really watchable, whether that's PC or mobile. Being able to see someone control a hero and then use their skill across their different abilities to take down players and navigate the map, we already know it's readable and very watchable. We've sent our build out, and this was in our last funding round. We had Misfits Gaming, which was an esports org playing Valorant and League. Uh, and then we had Yasuo for, from 100 Thieves. I think his most famous moment was taking down Faker uh, on his own uh, on the top lane. And these are pro players at the top of their game playing you know, one of the best, if not the best, esports games with incredible production value, with a huge amount of skill. You know, the skill ceiling in League is astronomical. Uh, you could play for 100 hours and still not be anywhere near that level. And, and these players and these organizations invested in us. They're on the cap table. That should give you the conviction of what we're trying to build and, and how we see it moving forward that pro players and pro teams when we gave them the build came to us and said how do I get involved how do I become part of this journey how do I align myself with you accruing value uh, and that for me you know gives us a, a really strong unfair advantage because we already have a real network now in that space that we can tap into not only is it on our cap table, but they have obviously have a, a really strong network. We're able to plug into teams and organizations and personalities in the esports space because we've got these individuals and teams on our cap table. Uh, so I can't share too much about how we're going to roll Pixie League out. Like I say, first and foremost, the goal is we want to bring esports to everyone, not just that 
top 0.1% of players, but they will certainly be part of um, the calendar and the list of events. Thank you very much, Ken. And lastly, in closing, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs or aspi aspiring founders in the audience too, do you have a piece of advice for upcoming founders? What should they do? What should they not do? And do you even recommend people to launch their own ventures? Yeah, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a very deep question. You know, we could probably spend an hour just talking about that too. But if I had to boil it down, first and foremost, uh, I'd say never compromise on the quality of your USP. And so regardless of what type of business you're building, if you're building a SaaS business that's focused on making it easier for people to pay their bills, or if you're building you know, a game studio, and for us, our goal is we make innovative court loops played by millions of players. Focus on what that USP is, is that makes you stand out, and don't compromise on one that piece of that, that quality. Uh, you know, you need to cut corners in er other areas. You need to be fast in many different ways to be able to compete. But that USP that makes you different, don't compromise. Because certainly for gaming in a market, you know, flooded with games, it's that quality that's going to set you apart. Uh, so invest in being really iterative, test, polish and refine your, your hypotheses and consistently, you know, try and push for boundaries. Uh, of what you're trying to build there. Uh, and then the second, something that stuck with me, I, I had the privilege of, you know, when I was at Konami, uh, I spent a lot of time in Asia. Uh, and uh, on one occasion, I had the privilege of, of having dinner with multiple different execs, of which one of the people on that table was Jack Ma, uh, who is or, or was one of the founders of Alibaba, And, you know, a, a company, if, if those that don't know, it's an e-commerce or it's now more than an e-commerce business, but in China does billions of dollars. Uh, and I actually asked him, you know, before I started Pixian at that time, I was someone that wanted to aspire and to build my own companies. And I asked him a very similar question, um, more centered around how he thought about businesses and how he built such incredible value for his customers uh, and such an incredible company. Uh, and, and what he said is, you know, prior, prioritize your stakeholders. Uh, and by that he meant, you know, for him, it's your end user first, your staff second, and then your shareholders third. Uh, and many might be thinking, well, hold on, that doesn't make sense. You know, if, if an investor's put millions of dollars into your studio, surely you're there to drive value to them. And that's absolutely true. But by focusing on creating, you know, real value for your end user, for us, it's players. And then obviously taking care of the people that are going to create that value, which is your staff, long-term success will come and therefore shareholder value will be accrued. Uh, and that really stuck with me. And it's something that I really take on for, take forward building Pixian as well. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you for your insights and thank you very much for your time. I'm sure the audience greatly enjoyed listening to you. And um, I hope to welcome you back maybe sometime in the future when we can talk about even more milestones and achievements of Fableborn in Pixian Studios. And um, guys, I'm going to jump into the research report just very briefly after, 
I said goodbye to Cam. So still stay tuned in for a few more minutes. So I can give you guys uh, a few comments to that as well. So again, Cam, thank you so much for coming. And I've shared the Fableborn Discord link in the comments below. I also shared the research report in the comments below. And with that being said, thank you one more time, Cam, for coming today. It was very insightful. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks for so many people taking time out on the weekend to, to come in and listen. Super. Thank you. And guys, when you uh, jump into the research report, which you will find in the comments below, then you will see that this research report as objective as possible. It also doesn't include my personal opinion on Pixion or on Fableborn itself. And it's done on purpose because after listening uh, to the AMA and after having all the data presented to you, I want you guys to be able to come up with your own opinion and to then make your decision whether or not you want to get deeper involved uh, with Fableborn, whether maybe you want to try to become an investor. If you want to do that, if uh, you liked what you heard of Fableborn, then I recommend you to jump into our Discord server and to take a look into our community and what we do. And then you might have an opportunity to participate there. And I think the AMA probably made it quite obvious why I got interested in Fableborn. It was uh, recommended to me by a, a couple of different community members. And for good reason, because it, it's, uh, yeah, I don't want to, to uh, show my bias too much, but how Cam picked the team of advisors which he has and his approach to creating a game with an attractive loop, which is going to be interesting over a longer period of time and not just pursuing something which is a, a quick pump and dump or something that's just catering to the potentially very short-lived sentiment of the market right now. That's a clear advantage over uh, some of the other projects out there. But still, I can't tell you this is something which you should be investing in. I'm not saying you have to buy the NFTs, but uh, I highly recommend you take a look at the research report, look at everything that has been laid out very objectively and very fairly also uh, towards Fableborn. And then you guys uh, can also re-listen to this AMA, come up with your own opinion about Fableborn and then continue with your decision-making. I think that's something which is very important. We don't want to influence people's decisions or opinions too much. After all, this community relies on integrity and accountability. And it also means that we don't tell you what to think. You guys have to make up your own minds. And then the community as a whole, weighing the pros and cons, should be able to come to a conclusion as a whole. And I think that's really where the strength of VVB truly lies. So with that being said, everyone, thank you so much for listening in. Thank you so much for liking and retweeting. If you haven't done so yet, then please do it one more time. It's good for the algorithm, good for our guests to show that you appreciate that they took their time to talk to you and to present their project to you. And then it also allows me, of course, to bring in similarly exciting guests and upcoming, hopefully successful and big projects. So thank you once again, guys. I know it's Saturday, but there's no better time. There's no better way to spend your time than to join us and to take part of our AMA. 
I will also post the winners of the secret codes and the top secret codes shortly in the comments here. And I'm going to tag the people who won. The way in which I'm going to choose which questions to ask in the future, because we get so many questions, it's impossible for me to ask all of them. Going forward, I will ask the questions which receive the most likes. So whenever you see a good question, then please go ahead and like that question. Then I know what you guys are interested in and what to ask and what's most valuable for our guests to answer as well. And lastly, if you're still listening, please be so kind and leave a comment. Just say something nice, one, two words. Uh, if you didn't like the AMA, then please let me know as well if there's areas in which we can improve. Then, of course, we want to know that as well. But either way, positive or negative, it always helps the algorithm, helps us to keep our socials growing, helps us getting more eyes on our AMAs, which eventually is, of course, good for you. So, guys, thank you once again and talk soon. This recording has been prepared and made available by VVV. It is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation to sell, buy or subscribe to any financial instruments or products. VVV does not express any opinion as to the present or future price of any instrument mentioned in this recording. The information provided in this recording is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published, but VVV, along with its directors, officers and employees, does not accept any liability for any loss arising from the use of this information as it may change in the future without notice. Any decision made by a party after listening to this recording shall be on the basis of its own research and not based on the information and opinions provided by VVV.